Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. morning let's go to our pastor's prayer the time when we come together as a congregation and just corporately lift up a prayer to the Lord where you would just follow along with me as we just pray our dear heavenly father you are most glorious worthy of all glory and praise and nothing compares to you let us see your worth this morning and let us declare your worth with all that is within us Father, we lift up your words this morning and we claim them as our own. As we read and pray the fifth psalm of David where he writes, Give ear to our words, O Lord, and consider our groanings. Give attention to the sound of our cry, my King and my God, for to you do we pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear our voice, and in the morning we prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness, Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, for you hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But through the abundance of your steadfast love, we will enter your house. We will bow down towards your holy temple in fear of you. Lead us, O Lord, in your righteousness because of your enemies. Make your way straight before us. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all of us who take refuge in you rejoice this morning. Let us ever sing for joy and spread your protection over us, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. We pray this in the name of your most holy son, Jesus, and all of God's people said, amen. He is a good God, is he not? Take your Bibles and turn with us to James chapter 5, verse 12, as we talk about walking in truthfulness. We're coming near the end of James. We've got maybe about two, maybe three weeks left in this letter to the Jews that have been dispersed from Jerusalem and the surrounding areas of Palestine due to the persecution they suffered from the Jewish religious leaders. You might recall from our first study in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, that Luke writes of the spread of the gospel due to this dispersion where it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking to know the word to no one except the Jews. And as we see, we discovered in our study of this letter that James' primary theme to those dispersed Jews is living out one's faith and being a doer, not just a hearer of the word. As the scattered church is struggling to live out the implications of the gospel in their daily walk, he writes that it's obedience to God's word that brings spiritual blessings, not just a profession 
or confession of faith. The apostle encourages them to keep the right perspective in mind when making decisions and living out their lives in a hostile environment. In our last passage that we were together in this letter, James had written amidst the background of the persecution, the suffering, the poverty, the discrimination, the oppression, the slander, the anger, and the sins of the tongue that the Jewish believers faced. As they were waiting for the justice and vindication and peace, James commands them to be patient and not to grumble, but to be steadfast, to not give up. For the coming of the Lord is at hand, he wrote them. He had told them that there were three things they were to do. They were to be courageous and steadfast. They were to be content. And then to continue to look for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, or James' command, excuse me, was very simple. Be patient. As I mentioned a moment ago, we must remember the background of this letter to the Jews that had fled due to the persecution of the church in Jerusalem. And they were dispersed among the Roman Empire. Thinking that they were saved from the persecution, they were now experiencing all kinds and different varieties of suffering, such as poverty, discrimination, oppressions, and they themselves were guilty of slandering and sins of the tongue against each other in their community. One can only imagine that their spirits were down and their hearts were broken. Not only because of the troubles from outside, but also due to the fact that there was no peace in their only place of refuge, the house of God. We can only imagine the stress and the pressures upon these believers. Struggling to live out their faith in a very hostile environment, they were probably tempted to just give up. Finding the cost of following Christ higher than they ever expected, they were tempted to deny their Savior and embrace the world. They were tired of waiting for justice and vindication and peace. And we're related how that really describes us today, is it not? Here we are, still waiting for the return of Christ, looking for justice and righteousness and for peace, living in an environment that is becoming more and more hostile to the Christian faith. James encourages them. He also encourages us to not give up, but to persevere until the coming of the Lord. This little phrase encourages them in two ways. One, by affirming that Christ is coming. Amen? And secondly, by reminding them that when He comes, He will come as a righteous judge. That's what you and I have to look forward to. In today's passage, James continues to write about the sins of the tongues that he wrote about earlier. He had warned them about slander and speaking lies against other people, you might remember, especially those that were lies or untruth. Today, he's going to be speaking about slandering not someone else, but slandering in regard to themselves. Let's read the passage together. James chapter 5, verse 12, where he says, But above all my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Father, 
we come before you this morning, I want to thank you for this word. And I realize, Father, as I come, I'm not worthy to speak really and to teach and to preach your word, except only through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so let us speak and let us hear and let us respond according to that grace. I pray that you would open each and every heart to hear your words, maybe for the first time, maybe in a way in which we understand, in a way that we uh, accept and respond in a way that we never have before. And may you be glorified by the preaching and teaching of your word. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Once again, we see that James is highly influenced by the teaching of the Old Testament and the teachings of Christ. In Leviticus 19.12, in the Old Law, God had said, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And if we were then to go hundreds of years later, we'll find in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 5. For now, hundreds of years later, as we see now, Jesus is having to correct their misunderstanding of that law. The Jews have taken it to a place that God never intended. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, you're going to see where James gets his inspiration through the Holy Spirit. For in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus is correcting the wrong teaching of the religious leaders when he said, Again you have heard that it was said of old, You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, he's not adding to it, he's not changing, he's correcting the false teaching that they had. But he says, I say unto you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. Dr. John MacArthur, writing about this passage in Matthew, writes that this should not be taken as a universal condemnation of oaths in all circumstances. God himself confirmed a promise with an oath. Christ himself spoke an oath. And the law prescribed oath in certain situations. Instead, he continues, what Christ is forbidding here is the flippant, profane, or careless youth of oaths in everyday speech. In that culture, such oaths were often employed for deceptive purposes. That's what we need to understand. That's what the practice is happening. He goes on the right to say, to make the person being victimized believe the truth was being told, the Jews would swear by heaven or earth, Jerusalem, on their own heads, or not by God, hoping to avoid divine judgment for their lives. But it was all in God's creation, so it drew him in and produced guilt before him, exactly as if the oath were made in the name of God. Jesus suggested that all of our speech should be as if we were under an oath to tell the truth at all times. The ESV Standard Bible writes that an oath involved invoking God's name or substitutes for it to guarantee the truth of one's statements. Jesus' disciples were not to swear at all. Instead, their character should be of such integrity that their words can be believed without an oath. 
And that's what's influencing James here as he looks at the church. Word must be getting back to him that there is this problem happening in these churches around the Roman Empire. So James' instructions to not swear is not about vulgar language, but trying to convince others of your sincerity and truthfulness by using an oath to deceive them. Doug Moo writes that James prohibits invoking God's name to guarantee the reliability of what a person says. However, by swearing this type of oath, they devalued their word by trying to find loopholes to get out of their commitments, obligations, and requirements since they were not invoking the name of God, but invoking something lesser. So really what's happening here is using oaths to deceive others. You and I do the same thing today. We use phrases as, I swear to God, or I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear on my mother's grave, or cross my hope and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye type thing. Or take my word for it. I'm a man of my word. There's a good one. Or my word is as good as gold. It doesn't matter to what or to whom you swear to. It could be Mother Mary, the Holy Church, or the Holy Bible, or your grandmother's grave. God has called us to live lives of truthfulness and integrity. Is there an amen there? And that's what you and I have to understand. Because we live in a world in which truth and integrity are not as valued as much as it used to be. In essence, it really hasn't changed since that first century New Testament church. You and I are facing and struggling with the very same things as they have. So in review, this prohibition is not against taking legal or civil oaths or swearing or using vulgar language, but deviously using oaths to reinforce truthfulness. This is simply lying. We must remember that lying is not a mark of a true, genuine Christian. Rather, it's the mark of the child of the devil. We'll see this in John chapter 8, verse 44, where Jesus informs us that Satan is the father of all lies. Look what Jesus says. He says, you are of your father, the devil, he tells the religious leaders, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So let me ask you, if we were to put up a, a little gizmo up here, and you were to grab it with two hands, maybe it's made out of metal, and we were to start to get you to speak, how would the truth and integrity barometer go? Would we find you laying way on the right or way on the left? Would you find yourself being very truthful and a person of integrity? Or would we find that your words being devalued because you're devious or deceivious with your words? See, we've already seen that the believers were struggling in that first New Testament church with sins of speech. If you have your Bibles, take a look again back to James chapter 1 and just, just to remind you of some of the sins of the speech, as I would say, that they're struggling with. Look at chapter 1, verse 26. He says, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is what? Worthless. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. 
He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. In chapter 3, 2 through 11, I'm not going to read all that, but in there he says, for we stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. We know there's not too many of those laying around. He says he's able to bridle his whole body. From the mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And then chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another. The one who speaks against a brother or judges brothers speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Now we have gone over this during our time. And we saw how, how what was prevalent in that church is prevalent in today's church. And we understand that we're not to do those things. In the same way, we're not to speak lies about ourselves. We're to be people of integrity, people of truthfulness. Why? Because we have a God who is truthful. We have a God who is a God of integrity, one who does not lie. We're to be like Him. And that's what James is concerned about, doing what God says, not just affirming what God says. You see, James is pointing out that true believers can be tested by their speech. James has just written for them to remain steadfast until Christ comes. Throughout his whole letter, he has been exhorting and encouraging these Jewish believers to walk the talk, to live out their faith. He says their profession of faith is only as good as your character and conduct. And let me say, that's the same for you and I. For there may be many of you who would say, I am a Christian. I have a public profession of faith. And we swear on it, swear on our baptism, swear on our Bible, and we swear on all of these things. But let me tell you, the proof is in the pudding of whether or not we truly live out our faith. For our words are deceiving and our hearts are deceiving. We see this clearly in James chapter 2, in verse 14, 17, and 26, where James writes, What good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. So faith apart from works is dead. And we looked at that passage several weeks ago. And our call and our plea is not to have a faith that's dead, but a faith that's alive and is proven by our works, by our conduct, and by our character. Simply put, is that we need to be honest. We need to live lives of integrity in the midst of a wicked and crooked generation. But how we live many times, though, can say about what our words mean to us. If you and I show our words do not mean anything to us, then how can it mean anything to anyone else? In Matthew chapter 5, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, speaking of believers, of Christians, said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's a good question. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under other people's feet. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the home. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's the believer in a hostile world. And just as they lived in a hostile world, filled with suffering and poverty, discrimination and oppression, you and I also live in that world. The Christian world seems to be shrinking every time we open up a paper or watch the news. As more and more churches are being destroyed around the world and Christians are fleeing their homes and their cities that they've lived in for centuries. And more and more Christian freedoms seem to be taken away and we're called more bigots because of our beliefs. I was just reading the paper yesterday that InterVarsity, which is a Christian fellowship that has been in colleges for years, decades of sharing the gospel, have been kicked out out of every California university and institution. No longer can InterVarsity be accepted in any California college or university. They cannot be there. That Christian testimony all of a sudden just ripped out. It won't be long before it's a Christian Fellowship of Athletes, I think. Or how about Crew, which used to be called a Campus Crusade. Bit by bit, our world is shrinking. And more and more, the truth of God has become labeled as hate speech. We're here. We live in a hostile environment. And more and more, it's going to be that tempting to just hide under the bushel, as the old song goes. But God has not called us because it's in the darkness that what the light shines the brightest. Amen? And I tell you, for you and I and for Orange Villa, we've got to shine brighter. We do that by living lives of truthfulness and integrity. If we say that we are Christians and we believe that God's word is holy and true, then we need to live out the implications of that Bible, no matter what the cost is. The truthfulness of our confession of faith should be apparent in our living, and it should never be questioned or doubted, either by someone else or yourself. We should not have to swear and make oaths to convince ourselves and others and even God of our sincerity. The last thing James points out is the motivation to live lives of truthfulness and integrity. For he says, judgment awaits those who do not tell the truth. Look what he says. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Look at Proverbs chapter 6 on the screen with me. He says, a worthless person, a wicked person, or a wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his fingers, with perverted heart, he devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment he will be broken beyond healing. There's a judgment awaits those who falsely swear to swear an oath to God untruthfully is to take the Lord's name in vain. 
God commands us in Exodus 20. He says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. James here in this little sentence, in this little verse, is saying, Live lives of integrity. Let truth be your friend. Hold it closely. It is the mark of a genuine Christian. There's no need to be swearing an oath. There's no need to be trying to convince someone of your confession of faith. And I think sometimes the one that you and I are trying to convince about our faith is sometimes ourselves. We all know those doubts are going to come about our salvation, are they not? There are going to be times where the, where the enemy is going to say, are you sure you're a Christian? Would a Christian truly act like that? And again, I share with you, there are words of conviction that come from the Holy Spirit, and there's are words of condemnation that comes from Satan. Any words of condemnation comes from the evil one. The words of conviction come from the Holy Spirit. That's important for you and I to understand and to know. But above that, we then say, well, of course I must be saved. See, I have it written in my Bible. Or I went to vacation Bible school, and, and see, I got this little thing that says, see, I'm saved. Or I go back to my baptism, and I swear I'm saved. But let me tell you, does your life live it out? Does it show it? Is your decisions, is the way that you live your life point to the truth? Sadly, there are many people today, maybe even here this morning, that are swearing to a confession of faith that is not true. See, there's all types of Christianity. Everyone wants to be a Christian. Everyone wants to go to heaven. But let me tell you, there's only one type of Christianity that's true. You see, there's the cultural Christian. Typically, they just like the environment. They like family-friendly. They want those types of things. They're usually politically conservative, socially conservative. And so they're just really a cultural Christianity. There's the heritage Christianity where, oh, I grew up, my grandmother was a Christian and my, my granddaddy was a, was a Baptist pastor and, and we'd grown up in church and we did all those things, so really I go to church because that's what my family has always done. And you may say, well, I, I may not go to church anymore, but I used to when I was a kid, so we feel like we've done enough. There's the networking Christianity. We've, we've had those here before. There are people who come to church and are part of Christianity seeking to network with people, trying to make business connections and social connections. And there, there, those are social Christianity. And those are very close to the political ones in which they want to make a difference in the world. And so they love the sayings of Jesus of being good and taking care of the poor. They don't like the words of Jesus when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They like the words of Jesus where he says, come unto me, all you who are laboring heavy laden. But they don't like the words when Jesus says, repent and pick up your cross, deny yourself and come follow me. That's the type of Christianity that just wants to feed the poor. They work in the soup kitchens, they work in passing out clothes, but really that's all they want. They just want a social Christianity in which they're doing good for others. There's only one Christianity that really counts, and that's a saving Christianity. That's a type of Christian 
who recognizes their need for a Savior and have counted the cost, who recognize who God is, that God has created us with all things, and He created us so that you and I could be His image bearers. And everything that we have is a gracious gift from Him to us. Every heartbeat, every breath, every function of every organ of my body is a gift from Him to me. And He has graciously and plentifully given us everything that you and I need. In return, He wants us to look to Him as the object of our admiration and to give Him praise and count Him as worthy. However, the problem is, is we haven't done that. With every fiber that's within us, we have rebelled against Him. We cannot conform to God's moral laws. We've rejected Him as our object of admiration. We have dethroned Him and put ourselves up on our thrones. And like Adam and Eve, we said we want to be gods. And we have fallen into a sinful rebellion. And each and every one of us is born into sin. It's hereditary and it's genetic. You and I are not sinful because we sin, but we sin because we're sinful. And with that, God says that the wrath of God abides on us for that rebellion. And there will be one day, it says, the Bible says that man will die, and after that, it is judgment. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. But God in his love desired to save, and so he sent his son to be that atonement, to bear that wrath and to earn our righteousness says, by one man's sin did sin enter the world, and by one man's obedience did righteousness enter the world. And if you and I trust on the works of Christ, and that God has accepted them on our behalf, and we turn in faith towards that, we too can be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, Christianity is saying, I repent of all this. I have counted the cost. I recognize that none of this is worth losing God. And they desire to be with Him. Let me ask you this. Do you have a living faith or a lying faith? Are you trying to convince yourself and others that your profession of faith is true? Should not be so. We're to live it out with lives of truthfulness and integrity. On a lighter side, there's a song by Steve Kurz Chapman and Jeff Moore called Live Out Loud. He writes this. He says, think about this. Try to keep a bird from singing after it's soared up into the sky. Give the sun a cloudless day and then tell it not to shine. Now think about this. If we have really have been given the gift of life that will never end. And if we have been filled with living hope, we're going to overflow. And if God's love is burning in our hearts, we're going to glow. There's just no way to keep it in. He says, wake up the neighbors, get the word out, come on, crank up the music, climb a mountain and shout. This is life we've been given, made to be lived out. So live out loud. Our lives are to be marked with integrity 
and truthfulness. I pray that you will have that type of life and live out that type of faith. Father, we come before you recognizing that many times we fail in this regard. And Father, I thank you that you've given us a faith, a saving faith that is real and that is true. And our lives should be marked by a faith that is living out loud, a faith that is providing works that show out the goodness of you. Lord, let our light shine. In so many ways, we're deceiving ourselves and others. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning whose profession of faith is not real, that you would just send your spirit and that you would convict them this morning of their need to make it right. If there's anyone here that has never called upon your name, Lord, let them do so now. For the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Let no one wait. And Lord, we rejoice for those that you bring to yourselves. And Father, we want to thank you for bringing us to you, to opening our hearts to the reality of the gospel. And Lord, may it just fall, fall deep into our soul that it permeate our very being. And may we live that out, the truthfulness and the integrity, especially in a world that is hostile to it. Strengthen us to live out that type of faith. Let us not shrink in terror or fear, but let us be bold and courageous in proclaiming that you are Lord. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.